I'm Robert Weatherington, and I and my wife are the executive co-directors of Camp Mitchell. Some of you probably already know know us because we come to church here from time to time. We, my wife Betsy and I, bring our two young children, George and Emily. George is three, Emily's five. That's more information that you need, but it helps me tell my sermon. So there you go. Uh, we actually just got back last night about five o'clock from Duluth, Minnesota. If you think it's cold here. Um, so we traveled for two days and we got home and, and you know we were gone for about ten days total. So for a three-year-old like George, that's a lot of shifting and moving. His world is, is you know, constrained in very narrow uh, time segments. And so he got home last night and almost as much so as when we arrived in Duluth, he sort of struggled to wind down and get comfortable even in his bed, especially at bedtime. It turns out three-year-olds, as they begin to become aware of the world around them, start to develop these you know, fairly normal fears. And for George, last night, getting comfortable in the dark of his own room definitely tapped into his fear of the dark. It's a perfectly normal thing. But as I was going to bed thinking about what I'm, I'm going to preach on today, um, began to reflect on uh, really a change in our understanding of fear uh, over the course of my lifetime. When I was in middle school and taking my first biology courses and we were learning about what it means to be a human being among the kingdom of animals, uh, my biology teacher told me what was sort of an accepted truth at the time, which is that what separates human beings from the rest of the animals that we share this creation with is that we don't have instincts and they do. They, become pre, they come pre-programmed with all the tools necessary to navigate the world in which they are going to occupy. And we as human beings uh, pass through a stage of instinct very young and really engage the world with rational responses to the different stimuli that we experience in our environments. That's what makes us human. Um, neat little narrative, you know, the idea that a polymer grasp and the infant's shock Reaction are the only two instinctual traces left in our creature. Um, but as we've developed over the last, uh, I'm not going to say how many years, um, we've learned a few different truths about you know, human psychology and what it means to be you know, creatures alongside our animal companions. And it turns out what they found is that uh, we do come pre-programmed with more than just an ability to close our hand and you know, make our muscles contract when, in response to stimuli. But they come in more complex uh, little packages. And most of them are fears. Things that are labeled primal fears. Fears of things that can kill us, like spiders, snakes, large animals, definitely bears. Uh, things that um, help preserve us in community. Uh, fear, a natural fear and a sort of res automatic response fear to things or people that are different from us. People that are strange to the communities in which we live generate a, a, a primal fear that's part of a survival tactic, that's part of being the animals that we are, as well as a fear of the dark. And the fear of the dark comes from the fact that we aren't exactly well endowed with senses compared to our animal companions. We don't see all that well, especially at night. We don't smell very well. We don't hear things too good. Our taste is so-so. Touch, fairly average. But for the most part, when it comes to being gifted with skills to navigate an environment, 
we're pretty low on the totem pole. And so darkness makes us our most vulnerable selves. And so as far as a human survival you know, category fear, a primal fear, the darkness is a natural extension of our fears. We find ourselves afraid and insecure and feeling most vulnerable when it's dark. Jumping stories. Um, when I was living in Georgia before I went to seminary and right out of college, my father and I used to go hiking on the Appalachian Trail quite a bit. We'd go hike on the different segments there and we'd camp along, you know, pretty overlooks and things to spend the night. And this one night in particular, we were climbing up a ridge about halfway, you know, along the Appalachian Trail that exists in Georgia. And we got up onto this clearing of the top and the sun started to go down. We knew it was going to be a new moon, so it was going to be pretty dark. So we set up camp and we just sort of sat out to watch the sunset. And as we did, we found that there were this, like a flock of snipe were flying around and diving into the grass below us. Hundreds of them making this little whistling sound and they would drop in. And it was clearly some sort of courting ritual going on in the community of snipe. But we got so captivated watching these birds fly around that we lost our focus on the fact that it was getting dark. It was getting really dark. About the darkest I've ever seen is on top of a mountain in the Appalachians on a new moon night. You know, we sort of had to almost feel our way back to our tent to you know, reach the comfort and security. And as I was thinking about that, I was reflecting on the fact that through all of that, I don't ever really remember being afraid, even though you know, being in that kind of darkness, it would seem pretty natural to be sort of insecure and sort of... You know, not exactly certain of my surroundings, but I thought about why that might be, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was with my dad. My dad and I were together doing this, and in our shared company, in the relationship that we shared, there was the comfort and security that our individual selves would have lacked in the darkness that surrounded us. It is that relational comfort, that security that we find in one another that is being articulated in this opening passage of John's Gospel. John's Gospel is the last of the, the Gospels that we continue to use that was written, written about 120 years um, after Jesus' birth, about you know, 190 to 100 or so after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So it's had time to sort of mull in the community. And so uh, the writer of John's Gospel and the community around him begin to think in Jesus, not in terms of a timeline narrative, but rather in the concepts that define who the substance of this Jesus really is. And of all the things that this John the Gospel writer could build as a foundation for his Gospel... We get this image of what God is in relation to Jesus and what Jesus is in relation to God. And it has everything to do with the fact that they are united with one another. That they are with one another. They are the shared company, the, the, primal, the primacy of all shared company in this holy trinity that we articulate. It is their togetherness, their connectedness that bears light into a world filled with darkness. And if we think in terms of darkness being associated with our fears and the light being associated with our comfort, it is the company, it is the connectedness, it is the relationship that bears comfort and security into a world that is so fearful and insecure. It is on this company 
that John builds his gospel, that he retells the creation story. And we begin to find as the gospel continues that the narrative is largely about God's kingdom is all about the relationship that exists between God and God's created people and God's created world. It's all about the togetherness and the connectedness. That what it means to bear light into a world that is so often darkened by fear is to march into it proclaiming that together we know the kingdom of God. That together we reflect who God is and who God has created us to be. That together we become the hands and feet of Christ in the world. Now in a world whose, whose loudest gospel being proclaimed around us is the ultimate perfection of individualism, of independence, of acquisition and selfish accumulation, in a world that is declaring again and again that my rights to get what I want are the most important, a message like the opening of John's Gospel is about as countercultural as we can get. To say that the importance of being together is higher than the importance of our individuality swims upstream in a flooded river of culture that surrounds us. It is our task as those who proclaim faith in this Jesus to do exactly that. To swim upstream and say that our responsibility and relationship to one another is more important than what we might gain as individuals. Because what is lasting and what is true and what reflects the eternal grace and love of God that breeds life is the ability to connect with one another and in so doing know the God who brought us into being. These aren't the easiest times to proclaim such a gospel, to try to carry such a light. And nonetheless, the task is ours. Empowered and emboldened by the Spirit of God, it gathers in this place week after week and sends us back out into a world that so desperately wants to exist in the dark. I know St. Peter's is in a time of transition. Carrie has gone along a different path and the sermon is going on for how the path of St. Peter's as a community is going to open moving forward. It's a natural time for fears, insecurities, and divisions to begin to accumulate. The things that hold us together as community begin to be undermined by our own anxieties and desires. I'm not saying this is happening. I'm just saying this is the sort of thing that does happen in communities in transition. It's easy to try to... to what, you know, shift and move and posture at such times. And often the temptation is to try to do some sort of reflection on who St. Peter's is and who the next leader of St. Peter's needs to be so that St. Peter's can be more fully St. Peter's. But if we're really going to do the work of discernment, if we're really going to pray and wonder how God might be calling us, we've got as a community to go deeper than that. We have to sort of listen to this opening passage of John and realize that our understanding of community and our understanding of what the gospel is that we will bear starts at a much lower place. It's not about who St. Peter's is. It's not even about who the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Communion is. It comes down to who are we as Christians? Who are we as people who are in relationship with God and one another? 
How do we proclaim a gospel of community and unity and love into a world that is far hungrier to hear it than it knows? If we begin to wrestle at that place with who we are as a people who know God and know each other, then, then it's much easier to hear the resonance among some other person, some stranger in the midst, missed, to find a path forward together. Your discernment's not about St. Peter's. Your discernment is about a gospel of love, a gospel of light that yields life, that reaches back to the very foundations of creation. It is holy work, and it is work that is filled with light. If we hold on to one another.